You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% to the life and career of the biggest selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. I remember as a child I used to hear music that they played, Lord, with a fear. Some call it folk, some call it soul, but people let me tell you it was rock and roll. I was raised rock, but the rhythm Hello and welcome to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. In this episode, I will be covering the first of two recording sessions Elvis did at the Stax Recording Studio in Memphis. In the summer of 1973, Elvis endured a demanding schedule with a two-week tour beginning in Mobile, Alabama on June 20th and finally ending on July 3rd in Atlanta, Georgia, after which he flew home to Graceland. Awaiting him was a letter from his record company, RCA, setting out expectations in no uncertain terms. The company was concerned about lack of commitment their number one recording artist was showing them. In a most unusual move, RCA Vice President George Parkhill wrote directly to the star. We are planning a recording session in the middle of July, he informed Elvis, at the same time demanding more control over the recording process. He was allowed to choose the studio he wanted, as long as he showed up when RCA dictated. Elvis's producer, Felton Jarvis, was required to fill out paperwork exactly as requested and was expected to produce a total of 24 masters, of songs not previously recorded by Elvis. He was instructed to produce a new pop album of 10 songs, new single records, four sides, and 10 cuts of a new religious album. Tired from being on the road, depressed by divorce proceedings, and expecting his daughter Lisa Marie for a month-long visit, Elvis could not have faced the prospect of a string of recording sessions with much enthusiasm. The most practical arrangement was to stay in Memphis, and Marty Lacker, his longtime friend and ex-Memphis Mafia member, suggested making the 10-minute drive to the Stack Studio in McLemore Avenue. There really wasn't that much choice. Chips Moman's American Sound Studio, that Elvis had used to great success in 1969, had long since left town, and Marty, who had been instrumental in bringing Elvis to American, had moved over to Stack's. The studio was booked for sessions to begin Friday, July 20th through to Thursday, 26th. The studio personnel were James Burton, Reggie Young, Charlie Hodge on guitars, Bobby Wood, piano, on bass was Tommy Cogbill, Ronnie Tutt and Jerry Carrigan doubled up on drums, and Bobby Emmons on organ. Backing vocals were by J.D. Sumner and the Stamps Quartet, female vocals provided by Kathy Westmoreland, Jeannie Green, and the Holiday Sisters, Mary and Ginger. Joining producer Felton Jarvis in the control room was engineer Al Pachuki. Al was disappointed to find that the studio only ran an 8-track mixing desk. RCA had upgraded their studios in Nashville to 16-track in 1970. It was obvious from the start that something was wrong with Elvis. Despite the proximity to Graceland, Elvis failed to show up for the 8pm scheduled start on July 20th. When he finally arrived at 11 o'clock, Pianist Bobby Wood, who'd last seen Elvis at the 69 sessions, recalls that he had gained weight. He said, His eyes were yellow. His skin was yellow. I couldn't believe it was the same guy. He looked totally different. He had Kang Ree, his karate teacher, with him, and they did a karate demonstration in the studio. 
He left the studio a few hours later, having recorded absolutely nothing. This didn't bode well for the rest of the sessions. He was late again the next night, his speech slurred, and he seemed scarcely awake. Listening to the session tapes, it's evident he had little interest in recording at all. It was suggested to Elvis that they begin with the first of two Jerry Lieber Mike Stoller songs that had been selected for the sessions, If You Don't Come Back. Two false starts were followed by Elvis serenading everyone with one of his 1961 hits before launching into the third take. System. <laughs> I didn't tell you, I go crazy at four o'clock. You people have never seen me. They put me in a straitjacket. uninspired take nine was chosen as the master. They then moved on to the Clive Westerlake song, It's Different Now. Elvis's heart didn't seem in it, and only one incomplete rehearsal take was done before he gave up. To me you're much more wonderful, more wonderful by far. Yes, you're different now. It's more love than holding hands and stealing kisses when you think no one else around has the good times and the bad has the ups and downs we've had but it's different now I'm so glad I still have you It's such a shame as it had all the markings of a good recording had he persevered. The highlight of the recording being the beautiful backing vocal by Kathy Westmoreland. There's always something new to see. I look at you, you look at me, and we're so different now. Love gets better every day in some peculiar way. It's always different now If we ever say goodbye You'd be lost And so would I What's the difference now Between us Love just for a day Such a pity he lost interest in it Elvis and the band then moved on to the second Lieber-Stoller song of the night, Three Corn Patches. Taking into account all the classic hits Jerry and Mike had written in the past, this song is very poor by their standards. 
Elvis appears to have woken up a little, but his tongue still seems a little thick as he jokes about his language and then launches into take five. Oh. <laughs> Goddamn, sloppy son of a bitch. Pardon my language. I normally don't curse around the stamps. Curse with them. I curse with them. Take five. Damn, Ronnie. This is lost his mind back then. I said three corn patches, about four cotton fields away. I said three corn patches, about four cotton fields away. Lil's the prettiest girl hold on US. I said After 15 takes, Elvis and the band could take no more, and they moved on to the next song. It was the sentimental Adam Wade hit from 1961, Take Good Care of Her. After a couple of run-throughs, the third take was the first one they completed. I suppose I ought to say congratulations For you Listening to the playback of Take 3, engineer Al Pachuki heard a buzz on the organ track and the recording process had to be suspended. They resumed recording after the control room had identified the cause of the sound interference and when they reached Take 6, everyone decided that was good enough for a master and the first night's recording was brought to a close. If it is another day, you better find out what's happening, find out what's happening before long. If you don't find out what's happening, you're going to find out that I'm gone now. A more enthusiastic Elvis arrived on the following night, though once again at 11 p.m. He started with Find Out What's Happening by up-and-coming Nashville writer Jerry Crutchfield. A Bobby Bear record from 1968, they'd started rehearsing as the previous night was coming to a close. 
Straight off, Elvis asked to have the volume of his headphones turned up, and as they worked out the arrangement, he said, It's good, girls. Whatever you're doing, it's good. Then he said, I want to find the writer, he joked when he couldn't read the lyrics, and crush his fingers and break his pens. That's good, girls. Oh, Faye, can you see? Anytime we're ready. Okay, this is it. By the ninth take, Elvis was happy with the result and they moved on to the next song, the Tony Joe White tune, I've Got a Thing About You Baby. Here's the very first take, and it's obvious that Elvis and the band were feeling their way with the recording. I've got something to tell you, something you ought to know. That my eyes are on you, baby, since a long time ago. Now I finally got the nerve, and I'm gonna make my move. Don't you try to turn me on, cause it's gonna be hard to do. I got a thing about you, baby. After one take, Elvis kidded, I screwed up the first part, I was singing Heartbreak Hotel. The version done at these sessions is a happy, upbeat version, and for me, is one of the highlights. They all put a lot of time and effort into this particular track. By take 14, they were still working on the tempo and phrasing. Something to tell you that I think you ought to know that my eyes are on you, baby, since a long time ago. Now I finally got the nerve, and I'm gonna make my move. Now don't you try to turn me off, cause it's gonna be hard to do. I got a thing about you, baby, and nothing I can do. I got a thing about you, baby, a thing about loving you. The next take was considered good enough for a master and was set aside for overdubbing at a later date. They followed that up with a cover of the 1960 Roscoe Gordon hit, Just a Little Bit. Bitty, your love, turn your lamps down low. 
Elvis and the band were so familiar with this song that after a quick false start, they completed the song in just one take. That brought the night's recording to a close at 3am. Monday, July 23rd, was the third night's recording and they began work on Raised on Rock at 11pm. The song was written by Mark James. He'd had chart success with Elvis previously, writing the hits Suspicious Minds in 1969 and more recently as co-writer with Wayne Carson and Johnny Christopher with Always On My Mind in 1972. I remember as a child I used to hear Music that they played, Lord, with a fear Some call it folk, some call it soul But people let me tell you it was rock and roll I was raised on rock, got that rhythm in my soul Every day when I got home, I can all my Talk to hound, no, does Johnny be good? Chain gang, love is strange, no, go. Take 10 was used for the master. The highly sentimental song, For Old Time's Sake, came next. Elvis struggled to get a satisfactory takedown. All right, we're rolling. This is five. Before you go, walk out on me. Take a look around and tell me what you see. Here I stand Like an open book Yes, I'm sorry Six, six, six. Just sit right by me Before you go Walk out on me Take a look around and tell me what you see Here I stand like an open book Is there something here you might have overlooked Cause it would be a shame if you should go that freedom ain't what you thought it would be The years we had were not all Ellis, I'm trying to know my phrasing was a little off there <laughs> He almost made it to the end of take seven but makes a mistake and cracks up We can forget the bad and take the bad If you don't have nothing left to do God damn it (laughs) 
Let me hold you. <laughs> do my ass. Son of a bitch. <laughs> God. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, I looked off one time and screwed up the ball game. <laughs> Y'all got me on. Y'all got me on that hung up on that do up in the. <laughs> okay, we're all. Yeah. Thanks, uh, hey gang, we're rolling. That was the sound of awful good, man. Thank you. If I can get something around with that do, I got it made. Uh, you got it. We got to just take We're rolling on The next take was used for record release. For old time's sake, may not rank highly in many people's favourite Elvis songs, but it's a personal favourite of mine, and in my opinion, it's another highlight from these sessions. It was a beautiful way to end the night's recording. Tuesday, July 24th, began with a change of recording personnel, as some of the band members' previous engagements prevented them from staying any longer. The replacements were guitar Bobby Manuel, Acoustic guitar Johnny Christopher, bass Donald Dunn, and drums Al Jackson. They began with Elvis tackling the Les Reed, Barry Mason song, Girl of Mine. Engineer Al Pachuki discovered on arriving at the studio that evening that Elvis's favourite hand mic had been either lost or stolen. Take three was halted when Felton announced from the control room that they had got a mic pop on the word pillow. On take four, Elvis finds a novel way of getting around the problem. Pillow without peeing. Pop, pop. <laughs> Pee on the pillar. When you're asleep beside me. I watch you lying there Your hand upon the pillow That <laughs> stops that shit, don't it? <laughs> Just invent a new word, hello Hello, son of a bitch The sessions ended on a sour note when after take 11... Elvis called out, Hold it, Pachuk. Man, I sound funny in these headphones. Hitting the talkback button, engineer Pachuki replied, You don't just sound funny in the headphones, you sound funny, period. Elvis asked him to explain, and Al told him about the stolen microphone. When Elvis heard this, he simply got up and left. Tom Diskin, who had been sitting in the control room, immediately called Elvis's manager, Colonel Parker, who called RCA, who in turn laid the blame back on the engineer. Though Al saw the session through, and Elvis let him know that in no way he held him at fault, this was the last time he would ever work with Elvis. With no idea whether Elvis would return, Felton had the musicians record backing tracks, hoping Elvis would return and overdub his vocals. 
They worked for the remainder of the 24th and the following evening before Felton resigned himself to the fact that Elvis wouldn't be returning to do any more recording. They recorded four backing tracks, Good, Bad but Beautiful, Colour My Rainbow, Sweet Angeline and The Wonders You Perform. The RCA schedule called for a new single in September and a new album the following month, but Elvis wouldn't be available for any more recording as he was contracted to perform in Las Vegas for his summer season at the Hilton Hotel until mid-September. RCA sent the mobile recording truck to Elvis's home at 845 Chino Canyon Road, Palm Springs, on the morning of Saturday, September 22nd, with the purpose of Elvis adding his vocals to the four backing tracks recorded in July. A makeshift studio was set up in the living room. Felton Jarvis was not in attendance, and Elvis is listed as producer. RCA had insisted Elvis pay the session fees himself after walking out on the July sessions. Rick Ruggieri was on engineering duties after Al Pachuki's fall from grace. RCA had arranged for some of Elvis's band members to join the session in the hope that Elvis would feel inspired to record extra material as the abrupt end to the July sessions had left them short of tracks for release. The band consisted of James Burton on electric guitar, Charlie Hodge on acoustic, Thomas Henley on bass, playing piano was Donnie Sumner and backing vocals were provided by voice. Elvis appeared a little before 10pm and immediately began to overdub his vocal onto the backing track of Sweet Angeline. Here's that vocal overdub before strings were added at a later session in Nashville. Sweet Angeline, I loved you Much more than poets say and write Just for one short time Angeline, remember Though we've not seen The summer through I lived only for you I am only human To disguise my love for you. When listening to this recording, I often wonder why RCA went to all the trouble of adding more strings and backing vocals, drowning Elvis's beautiful vocal out in the mix. Why wasn't this left like this, untouched? For the little love we've had. That voice, absolutely fantastic. The next evening, Sunday, September 23rd, Elvis walked into the makeshift studio and announced to Donny Sumner he wanted to record his song, I Miss You. It was 7pm when Elvis positioned himself at the microphone. The band struck up the opening chords and produced this.
I recall all the good times together, the love we shared, the fun and the laughter. How I wish you could feel what my heart says tonight, dear. I miss you and I wish you were here. It's a flawless performance and could have been released as was, but they did another 14 takes after this one, though not all were complete. At least Felton resisted the temptation to smother the recording with overdubs this time. He took a break at 9.20, allowing the vocal group Voice to record some demos on studio time that he was paying for. He resumed work at 1.15am with the recording of Are You Sincere? The song, written by Wayne Walker, had been a top ten hit for Andy Williams in 1958. Are you sincere when you say I love you are you sincere when you say you love me too that was take two it was take four that appeared on the Raised on Rock LP Elvis said goodnight to everyone and went to bed at 3.15am, leaving the backing vocalists to record another couple of demos. He never added his vocals to the three remaining backing tracks that were recorded the previous July. The following week, at RCA Studio A in Nashville, producer Felton Jarvis and engineer Al Pachuki supervised an overdubbing session. Strings were added to four tracks, Take Good Care of Her, I've Got a Thing About You Baby, Girl of Mine, and Sweet Angeline. The single, Raised on Rock, for old time's sake, was released in September 1973 as a double-A-side, the album of the same name a month later. Both album and single were commercial failures. The single reached a dismal 41 on the Billboard Hot 100, but did a little better in the UK, peaking at number 36. The album only climbed halfway up the Billboard Hot 100 in the US, and failed to chart at all in the UK. In part two of this series, I will cover the second set of recording sessions Elvis did at Stax during December 1973. All my podcasts are available on all good podcast providers such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and iHeartRadio to name just a few. You can contact me via email at ElvisTheUltimateFanChannel at gmail.com. You can also find me on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and I hope you'll join me next time on Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel podcast. <laughs>